Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who's been um, long active on the climate crisis, and a person very inspired by Times Magazine's uh, 2019 Person of the Year. Today's show is all about the connection between agriculture and climate crisis, and the climate crisis. And we're very pleased to have joining us by phone, Tara Ritter. Uh, She's with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy. Um, Welcome. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hi, thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, and so there's a new report out on agriculture and climate change, policy imperatives and opportunities to help producers meet the challenge. So tell me about this report. Yeah, so this report was a, um, a real group effort. It is out of the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, which is a group of um, 100-plus sustainable ag organizations across the country uh, and within that coalition, we have a climate change subcommittee. So there's, you know, a group of us that are, you know, pretty concerned about how climate change is going to impact agriculture and are focused on um, shifting policy to really help producers adapt and to encourage climate-friendly agricultural practices. So within that subcommittee, um, we spent uh, a chunk of last year writing this report that was just released. And it is... Um, it's a pretty big report, honestly, but what it does is it overviews the most recent science of agriculture and climate change, and there's been quite a few major reports that have come out on the subject in the past couple of years, um, including from the IPCC and from the federal government, and so we were hoping to take that plus peer-reviewed science and sort of update, you know, how agriculture is going to impact climate change, um, how climate change impacts ag and ways to um, kind of work with that. So that's the first half. And then the second half, we put together a slate of um, policy recommendations uh, that are in the Farm Bill or within USDA authority uh, that we think would kind of help shift the landscape. So the purpose of the report is to find a collective voice for, a, a, for climate-friendly solutions. Yeah, we had um, a couple purposes in mind when we put this together. Um, Again, the first being to provide an update of the science that's all in one place. Uh, And so within that, um, we really did a... a, So we had a a twofold purpose of writing this report. Um, And the first was to update the science on climate change and agriculture. So um, this isn't totally all readily available in one place, and we wanted to provide... um, an educational document, first and foremost. Um, but then we also had the purpose of um, pulling together these policy recommendations that um, hopefully can help inform advocacy. So we're hoping that this helps um, the member groups of NSAC in their advocacy, but then also in whatever lobbying me- meetings they might have and to you know share with their members of Congress that this is you know not only an update of the science, but also includes recommendations uh, for change and very specific things that we are um, asking for and trying to make happen. Great. So your hope, or the group's hope, is that a comprehensive climate bill uh, will um, will come out of this report, that, that we'll find some collaborative, comprehensive solutions. You know, I think that is most definitely the long-term goal. Um, the report is focused um, on what is currently in the Farm Bill and what is currently under USDA authority. So it does have um, a focused perspective on what we're pushing for, and it's kind of um, working with what we already have and tweaking it to better support um, sustainable ag practices. Um, That said, we're hoping to use this report as um, part of a foundation to be building out a more comprehensive climate change legislative agenda, and um, that's going to be, you know, a big chunk of our 2020 work. Um, So what we have in here, yes we're hoping can inform um, something that might be in a climate bill and especially um, we're hoping that ag is included well in whatever climate legislation comes forward. Um, But also even in the absence of a giant climate bill like that, these are things that could happen um, right now, even before the next farm bill, you know, whether it's through appropriations processes or um, looking forward to the next farm bill, which will likely be about 2023. So we were hoping to have things that, um, you know, whether it's through administrative action or whatever, that we can kind of help push the system um, now and in the short term, even without 
something huge happening, which we hope will happen in the next couple of years. Right. So um, we've said this several times on Food Freedom Radio, but of course um, the entire U.S. agricultural system is uh, both a major contributor to climate change and also a major um, uh, uh, something that's highly impacted by climate change. So let's talk a little bit about the impacts on U.S farm system from climate change so going to the um, executive summary it talks about the fourth national climate assessment the nca4 so what did that document talk about yeah so that was a um a report that was released uh last year in 2018 um what it was is it's federally mandated um, and 12 federal agencies have to come together uh and talk about the potential impacts of climate change so this was a huge report, um, and it, it came out of the federal government. Um, even under the Trump administration, it is um, it is necessary. Like it is something that is in law that needs to happen. So, an ag um, and their anticipated climate impacts on ag, um, and their you know kind of the expected things that that we've heard a lot about, which is um, warming. Um, significant regional warming, um, other than in the south, which is actually cooling slightly. Um, and, you know, these elevated temperatures can really increase the rate of drought onset. Um, drought, of course, has a huge impact on agriculture. Uh, and we've seen, you know, especially in 2012, a huge drought um, that ended up with uh, over two-thirds of counties declared as disaster areas. So that, you know, super affects crop yields and um, the way farmers like the context in which farmers need to operate. Right. Um, so right now in Minnesota, but, this year in Minnesota, a lot of farmers, their fields were too wet. Um, and so the, right. um, it, it was, there's a, some of the wettest years that we've ever seen in, in agriculture. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things about climate change is that it, it's the erraticness, um, increased uh, erratic and extreme um, variation. So, you know, there's, there's increased drought, but there's also increased annual precipitation that's been measured and the thing about that is it is coming in shorter bursts so there might be you know more rainfall over a shorter amount of time and that can be really really hard for um soil for farms to deal with um that it just simply can't um infiltrate that much water at one time so yes this year was a perfect example of that increased precipitation um and and it was a it was a really tough year it was a tough year for farmers and I'm going to background. Um, you, I want to just back up a little bit. What's your personal background, um, Tara Ritter? You work with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy, but your personal background is in soil. Um, yes, yeah, broadly, I think you could say that. Um, I have a, a master's degree from Ohio State, uh, and what I studied was uh, nutrient management. So we were looking at a specific watershed in Ohio and how different uh, nutrient management practices could uh, impact the water quality of that area. So um, that included looking at, you know, a lot of kind of federal farm programs, but also best management really decrease can do um, to really decrease nutrient runoff from their farms. And we also looked at, you know, what, what drives decisions behind that? Because, um, you know, farmers are operating in a, in a complicated context that, you know, they're, they're humans, they're making decisions based on a number of factors, there's economics, there's policy. And so we looked at that as well, you know, not only what are the best management practices, but um, what are the drivers behind the decisions to implement those? So um, this fourth national climate assessment, uh, we've heard a lot about um, the, the drought in California. And, of course, most of our fruits and vegetables come from the state of California. Um, the water problems in the Midwest with storm, storms. But also there's been stresses on crops and livestock and farm personnel from the higher summer temperatures because of climate changing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there have. And that is one finding within the assessment is that um, future yields are uncertain um so you know there's certain crops like wheat and hay um yields of those are actually projected to increase in the short term um because you know they're just benefiting i guess from um slightly increased carbon and precipitation but those um you know really want to stress that those are short-term benefits um some of the hardest hit crops uh you know kind of right now and in the future will be horticultural crops um, so their, you know, their flowers are very susceptible to temperature fluctuations and it's, it's going to get increasingly tough to 
also grow some crops like walnuts um, and mm. stone fruits. Uh, especially, like you said, in California where there's a drought and a lot of those crops are grown. Um, another, you know, big crop impact is the, the migration of weeds and pests. So, you know, with, with different temperatures happening in different ranges, um, you know, weeds are generally migrating northward. And, um, you know, that means that existing herbicides and things like that are losing their ability to kill weeds. Um, so, so that's, you know, just an additional challenge that farmers will be facing right and then um a lot of these impacts are fall disproportionate uh, they fall on um on, on disadvantaged people and organizations yeah i think that's absolutely true um i mean climate change is absolutely an environmental justice issue um you know broadly even when you're not talking about agriculture um and, and the most disadvantaged communities are hit the hardest. It's, it's no different in farming. Um, you know, if you have more resources, you're, you're better able to bounce back from disasters. Um, so that's absolutely true. And I think we could also talk about, you know, farm workers who are out in increased heat and are um, enduring greater heat stress. Uh, so that's another population um, that, that will be hit pretty hard. We're going to take a break. Um, we're talking with Tara Ryder from the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy about a new report uh, re- uh, released this month on agriculture and climate change. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how agriculture can be a solution to our climate crisis. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Tom Hartman here for All Energy Solar. One of the myths about solar is that you save more if you wait, but waiting to switch can actually cost you more. While tax rebates make solar affordable, those rebates are often limited and decrease over time. So when you wait, you risk losing some of the incentives that make solar so easy to afford today. And besides, the sooner you get your All Energy Solar system, the sooner you reduce or even eliminate that high electricity bill. Make the switch today at allenergysolar.com. I'm Candy Braffle, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings Magazine and host of Green Tea Conversations, a new show for people who are on a journey to take responsibility for their health and play a more active role in their family's well-being. Join me every Sunday at 10 a.m. as I interview local experts who share the latest in natural holistic approaches in a fun and informative way. So grab a cup of tea and join the conversation as we awaken to natural health. Visit us at naturaltwincities.com. Hackers, ransomware, security breaches. As I speak, cyber criminals are stepping up their attacks on businesses like yours. Hi, Mark Sommerfeld of Rymark. Rymark has the expertise and experience necessary to navigate your company to safe water. We launch our process with a network security assessment. We'll uncover the hidden threats to your business and provide you with a map to peace of mind. And it's free. Call 651-328-8900 or go to rymarkit.com to schedule your free security assessment today. Did you realize that Drink in the Style is available on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much every other podcast platform out there? You can listen to past episodes of Drink in the Style or maybe download our really cool martini glass graphic or just listen to your favorite episode again and again. But if you do, I need to ask you for a quick favor. Hop online and give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show and also boosts my fragile ego. Drink in the style. It's a great way to kill Sundays or really any time at all. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. With all the convenient big box stores that sell appliances, why do so many Minnesotans choose Warner Stellion? Check online to learn that Warner Stellion is a Minnesota family-owned business for over 60 years. Warner Stellion sells more brands than anyone else, and our passionate specialists are committed to impressing you so much that you'll refer us to everyone you know. That's our mission here at Warner Stellion. Ask around, check us out online, and when it's your time to buy appliances, join over 300,000 Minnesota homeowners and choose the specialists, Warner Stellion.
Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking about uh, climate crisis and agriculture. And joining that with us is Tara from uh, from the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy. And there's a, a new report out. The most practical and cost-effective way to remove CO2 from the atmosphere is through living plants and soil. Right, <laughs> Tara? That's one of the most effective yes, ways to that. take carbon off the air. Is that, that is that hard to understand? Um, you know, no. I mean, fundamentally, no. I mean, we've we've all kind of heard that trees do that. Um, you know, all living biomass does. It has the potential to, uh, you know, sequester carbon um, into the soil. And uh, you know, we've seen a, a loss of that soil carbon stock over you know the past however long humans have been here. Um, you know, converting land or cultivating land. Um, but then, you know, where we are right now is we're we're seeing an opportunity to to be able to sequester a bunch of that again. Um, and you know, I want to be careful to not frame this as like some huge silver bullet to climate change um, because it's certainly not. But it is a piece of the puzzle, and it, it's one that you know I'm really excited about, and that this uh, you know report kind of provides a a little bit of a you know what practices. Can help that happen and i am glad you um offer that um that, that that point that this is not a silver bullet um we can't solve everything with just carbon but um the report says that sustainable orga- organic or conservation agriculture systems can build a uh, 500 pounds of carbon an acre a year in cropland soils what does something like that mean uh well i mean first of all that is you know, an average, so different soil types um, and depending what their, you know, current carbon stock is right now uh, are going to be able to sequester different amounts. Um, but, you know, in terms of are you looking for like a, a kind of conversion of what that means? Yeah, what, I, I mean, I, you know, I think, I, it's, I think it's hard for a general audience to even start or general just for us. We have so much information coming at us all the time. But what do we mean when you say that or when this report says that uh, you can get 500 pounds, up to 500 pounds of carbon in the soil sequestered? How does that work? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't have any, you know, neat conversion of, you know, like how many cars off the road that is or anything. Um, but, you know, what it means is just there's a, a giant potential to be, um, you know, pulling some of the carbon in the atmosphere down into the ground. So, you know, on the one hand, we need to be reducing our emissions. Um, but ag provides us an opportunity to also sequester it. And, and you know, how does that work? It's, you know, it, it's, it's pretty complicated, but it has a lot to do with plant roots um, and the microbes in the soil. And, um, you know, kind of the deeper the root of a plant, the further down it will pull the carbon through, through you know, it, it's called um, through its cycling process. Uh, and that, you know, I would have to be more of a biology teacher. <laughs> right. But, okay, better. so this, this is how I understand it. So for a general audience, that that uh, with the monoculture approach of the dominant agriculture system, you, you throw a lot of nitrogen and, and you give the, the, you give the um, plants a lot of artificial manure, um, and, but they don't then build their deep roots. And so having systems, and, and so that type of monoculture agriculture um, doesn't sequester carbon. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, um, a, a lot of it has been released, and I would say, um, you know, rather than because of the exact type of crop grown, it's it's frequently because of practices like, um, you know, a lot of chemical application and because of tillage. Um, so, you know, undisturbed soil really is able to, uh, you know, keep a lot of that carbon underground, um, but as it gets disturbed, as it gets tilled up, that is when um, the soil is disturbed and a lot of that carbon is released. So one of the worst things we can do for climate change as a as a global um, country is to cut down the rainforest and have beef grown in the Amazon. That's probably one of the worst things to do for climate emissions. Land conversion, for sure. Um, so, you know, especially if anything is in native, you know, whether it's the Amazon rainforest, which is hugely important for so many reasons. Uh, or even, you know, native prairie in the Midwest, um, or even like an old growth forest, you know, converting that land, um, you know, to any type of agricultural use really is is going to be pretty tough for the climate. So, yeah, yeah. So help us understand that, because I think we can see, like, we know if there's a big truck that gets two miles to the gallon, (laughs) that's bad for carbon emissions. But how is it bad to rip up native communities um, for carbon emissions? 
Um, well, again, so, you know, there there is so much carbon um, being stored in the soil right now. The soil is one of our largest carbon sinks, um, along with, like, the ocean is also a giant carbon sink. Um, and, again, disturbing that land uh, releases a lot of that, um, you know, through removal of, of the plants, um, you know, whether it's trees or, or prairie or whatever it is, um, the, you know, disturbing those will then release a lot of the carbon in the soil. And the stuff that's been, you know, growing for so long and that is native to an area, um, you know, that's been spending centuries or however long, um, you know, keeping that soil carbon stock in place. And so, you know, land conversion really is kind of, um, I'm, I'm hesitant then, to frame things in absolutes, but one of the worst things, yes. Right. And and so there are some wonderful solutions out there, a, a permaculture, um, agroforestry, silver pasture, um, wild farming. Can you talk about some of those types of approaches and how that uh, sequesters carbon? Yeah, I mean, so probably my biggest area of expertise is, uh, you know, within an agricultural system, what types of practices uh, you know, can help. And so rather than, um, you know, thinking about some of the systems that you just said, some of, a lot more of what I know about are, um, you know, conservation agriculture practices and, uh, you know, both how they work, but then also how policy supports or doesn't support them. Um, so, you know, some of the, the practices, and it's kind of like you said, it, it's systems, um, including, you know, cover cropping, uh, no-till diversifying a crop rotation. Those are, um, some of the big things, also integrating livestock back onto the land, those are some of the big areas that I know a lot about um, and, and could get into further. If Great. So that integrating uh, livestock back into the land, because um, we've heard that one of the best things we can do for the planet in terms of our carbon is go to a plant-based diet. And for the most part, that's very much true, correct? Um, yeah, very much so. I think no matter what, we're going to have to, um, you know, be reducing meat consumption. We have a we have an overproduction problem and we have an overconsumption project problem, and that's you know not just climate related, right? It's, it's health related too. Um, but you know, one thing that we like to stress as well is that you know we we don't think everyone just needs to you know, become a vegetarian. Um, because there are ways, uh, you know, that integrating livestock onto the land can, can really build soil health. And, you know, soil health is really important for a lot of reasons. It's important, um, you know, from the sequestering carbon perspective, but also because it helps build resilience on a farm. So the, like, kind of the healthier your soil is, the better it's going to be able to, you know, infiltrate water, um, things like that, and, you know, withstand drought and withstand flood and, um, you know, deal with these these changes that we'll see as a result of climate change. Um so, there, you know, there are some farmers, and they're, they're generally smaller scale, who are practicing regenerative agriculture um, and, and raising livestock in a way that's super helpful for the land and for a climate perspective, um, and, and supporting those farmers, especially because they're really struggling right now in the ag economy, uh, is it, super important. And so the more that, you know, we can support that market and, and purchase that beef or, you know, whatever animal it is that's being raised uh, regeneratively, that's a super, um, you know, great thing that we can do from a climate change perspective. Uh, but within that context, um, you know, we can't just expect uh, regenerative agriculture to be producing the same amount of meat um, that we are right now globally. And, and because of that, um, you know, overall, yeah. There's so, Tara Ryder with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy. We're going to take a break, and when we're going to come back, we're going to talk about the uh, policy priority uh, recommendations from this report. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coop. Finding the best foods the Twin Cities has to offer is easy with EatLocalMinnesota.com. Offering the top local and independently owned restaurants, EatLocalMinnesota.com has everything from burger joints to cocktails and fine dining. 
Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club invites you to check out their beautiful facilities for your next special occasion. Book your wedding reception, retirement party, business dinner, or other special event with confidence, knowing their expert staff and award-winning chef will make it a big hit with your guests. Call today to get a quote, 763-571-9020. Specializing in Szechuan and Peking cuisine, the Great Wall Chinese Restaurant has been a local favorite since 1981. They offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include the sesame chicken, imperial beef, and Peking duck. The Great Wall Restaurant is located off 45th and France with takeout available too. More at greatwallrestaurant.us. I'm Connie Burek, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind, body, spirit, emotion perspective. On the Awakened Living Radio Show, we will discuss stress, self-care, fear, happiness, beliefs, communication, joy, pain, trauma, and more. Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion radio show Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life. Hi, this is Ryan, owner of Snap Construction. It's been great working with so many of the passionate AM950 listeners over the years. We have realized how important AM950 is to the community. I want to see AM950 continue to grow and continue to thrive into the future. To help continue to grow, Snap Construction will be putting up proceeds to assist the station in marketing on social media. Snap Construction encourages you to do your part by liking and sharing the content on AM950 social media platforms. This is Chad, owner of AM950. Ryan has always told me the best time to get work done is during the cold months of the year because demand is much lower. He is backing that up again by offering 30% off labor on windows and siding from now until the end of December. Call Snap Construction now to get 30% off labor on windows and siding. As always, Snap Construction stands by their work with a lifetime craftsmanship warranty. Trust the company AM950 trusts Snap Construction, arguably the most well-reviewed roofing, siding, and window contractor in the metro area. Get a free estimate by calling 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. Financing options available. Why must the world be so cold? They've gone against what was told. Thinking rape is cool? Think about it. They think it's not wrong. Violence against women? The rape? The abuse? The emotional? Physical? They all hold the hate. Think about it. Is it right or wrong? What attracts you? I'm not saying no names, but you laugh. Talk about it like nothing is wrong? Think about it. They all hold the hate? Gotta stop the violence. Stop the hate? Think about it. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? While you see it Welcome back way. to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. Um, today's topic is the connection between agriculture and climate crisis. There's a new major report out. Um, and with us to talk about this report is Tara Ritter. Um, she's with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy. And again, Tara, Tara remind us of how many uh, groups were active in this report. Uh, within the report itself, there were probably um, six or seven major contributors um, ITP was one of them, um, but all of the you know organizations who contributed to the report are members of the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, you know, which is a major sustainable ag coalition um, based out of DC that works on federal ag policy. Uh, and yeah, and there are about a hundred member groups of of that coalition. Um, and you know, within our climate change subcommittee, there's a subset of that, and and you know, even a subset of that really helped pull and, together this report. And this committee played a historic role in 1990 um, in defining what um, sustainable agriculture is and helping to um, draft the the farm bill. Um, so let's talk about the specific policy priorities related to climate change and agriculture. The first one is to make um, U.S. agriculture climate neutral. That yeah, sounds cool. And, you know, that's a, <laughs> it, it does. And, um, you know, I think our eventual, eventual goal is to also, you know, make it carbon negative, like we've been talking about so far is, you know, agriculture has a huge potential to be able um, to sequester carbon in the soils. And so, you know, going carbon negative even would be, would be great. Um, but yes, we did frame it in terms of carbon neutrality in this report. Okay. And I, I mean, in America's recent history, in the Dust Bowl in the 1930s, 
as a nation, we saw the problems, we listened to the experts, and we came up with solutions. And that's the same thing we want to see happen right now in, in, in this year, is we want to understand the problems of climate change, our interdependencies on the natural world, and and then create something that, that, that works for future generations. So this idea of um, U.S. agriculture becoming climate neutral is... Um, is more than aspirational. It just—it's kind of common sense. Yeah, you know, I—I I think the idea of it is common sense. There's, you know, there's a lot of barriers in the way, um, and you know, when you talk about listening to the experts, you know, I—I I think probably in the dust bowl, I wasn't alive then. Um, probably neither were most of us, but I'm—I'm um, I'm sure the context was complicated then too, and it's great to look back. Um, on history and see that change. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, that same thing can eventually be said of the time period that we're in. Uh, but yeah, there, you know, there's nearly total consensus on, on climate change as a human driven phenomenon. Um, we know what we need to do. Uh, you know, we know the numbers of what we're capable of doing. And now, like you said, we just need to unify, um, <laughs> which unfortunately is, is not simple. Um, but I, you know, I think one thing that, you know, in the context of this interview, at least, is, is thinking about the polarization that we're seeing in our country right now um, and, you know, how much a lot of rural communities and um, farmers feel blamed, really, you know, within um, environmental circles. You know, they're hearing the rhetoric and, and feeling like they're being blamed um, for a lot of this problem, which is, you know, really causing a lot of disconnect and shutting down. And so I would say, you know, we absolutely need to pull together. Um, and, and there's a lot that needs to be done in order for us to do that. Um, you know, that really includes building empathy and helping, you know, see, see farmers as stewards of the land and as, um, as partners rather than as, you know, enemies. Without a doubt. I mean, I'm, I'm attracted to so much unity writing and, and how we can actually unify. And it, it is complex. Um, but one of the things in this report is that we need to remove the barriers and strengthen support for sustainable and organic production systems. And maybe that um, division and that blame and that shame is one of the major barriers. I mean, we're all in this together. And, and, I, and I think we felt that in the dust boil. And right now, I think we're feeling so much us and them reactive stuff. Stuff. Um, and so how do we um, sort of emerge from that um, that polarization? And, and I from, wish I knew. <laughs> yeah, I wish I knew, too. Thank you. Great question. Yeah, I wish I knew, too. But but egg is a place where we can. Now, um, uh, so um, what are some of the other barriers to, um, to switching from an organic to switching to a regenerative system from the monoculture system we now have? Yeah, I, I mean... We're in a, in a system that really does incentivize, you know, getting big. Uh, you know, we heard it back decades ago, you know, get bigger, get out, plant fence row to fence row. I mean, we're hearing it now, too. I mean, a few months ago, Sonny Purdue said the same thing. The big get bigger and the small go out. Um, and that's built into policy. Uh, and so, you know, especially if we're looking at, you know, more extreme weather um, and farmers depending on crop insurance, it, you know, it's just one example um, you know, there are certain things that you need to do to be able to collect on crop insurance, and a lot of that is, um, you know, really rooted in this conventional ag that we see. Um, you know, it really, farmers are already facing a lot of risk, um, you know, with extreme weather and then, you know, with the trade war and with really low commodity prices um, and asking them to take on additional risk um, by, you know, switching practices and switching the type of operation that they're using when maybe they're not sure that it's going to work out um, and maybe they need to, you know, pay for different types of seeds or equipment or whatever it might be. Um, you know, that's a layer of risk that it's really hard to ask people to take on when they're already, um, you know, kind of fighting to get through this year financially. Um, and especially, you know, you mentioned earlier in the Midwest with all this flooding and the wetness and the trade war and everything, um, you know, farmers are, are they're facing a tough context right now. Yeah, and it's not just farmers facing this tough context. We are all facing uh, tough contacts, uh, a content. Mm -hmm. and, um, um, and so, I mean, supporting climate-friendly nutrient management, um, what does that mean? That's another one of the recommendations. Yeah, um, so th this is kind of a, a pet issue of mine. I, I love this. Um, <laughs> so nutrient management, you know, basically – applying nutrients, so, um, you know, chemicals, fertilizer, things like that, 
Um, Climate-friendly nutrient management, you know, I think, so climate-friendly nutrient management, uh, you know, is one of the biggest things that we can do to, um, you know, reduce the amount um, of greenhouse gases that ag is emitting. So, you know, ag doesn't directly emit a lot of carbon dioxide, um, which is separate from the carbon that's stored in the soil, um, but it does emit a lot of nitrous oxide. Uh, And really, you know, nitrous oxide kind of flares off when there is, uh, you know, an excess of nitrogen. Um, So, you know, as we're talking about supporting climate-friendly nutrient management, I think that really means, um, you know, shifting things around so that either, you know, way less or potentially no um, excess nitrogen is applied and is, you know, running off into waterways or flaring as um, nitrous oxide. And there's a lot of, you know, ways within the farm bill um, to achieve that and to incentivize that. Um, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on the right. specific well, program. Then, I mean, there's even some talk about like persist, precision um, agriculture that just uses a lot less nutrients by targeting it. So there are some um, emerging newer ways that may um, reduce nutrients. But what other areas might be um, great for that? Yeah, so and as you're talking about precision ag, I mean, that's making me think of one thing, which is just um, the importance of viewing agriculture and these practices holistically, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of fixes out there being promoted, um, like just doing no-till by itself or precision agriculture, um, and those are kind of looking at one-off practices which really aren't, um, you know, helping us achieve the results that we um, want and that we could see if we're looking at a full system of practices that's integrating multiple conservation practices and looking at farms as kind of holistic operations. So I think, you know, there's certainly no-till, but no-till on its own still relies on um, pretty heavy chemical inputs to be able to kill weeds and things like that. Um, But as you start integrating practices like no-till, like cover cropping, um, and like diversifying a crop rotation, you start building up a system that's naturally suppressing weeds um, and that is fixing its own nitrogen. Um, and if you're integrating livestock on the land, then, you know, the manure from that can start to help out too. And you're suddenly building a more self-sufficient system that's not as reliant on inputs, including, you know, the nitrogen that is, um, you know, a pretty big driver of the nitrous oxide emissions. And so another one of the report um, recommendations are uh, supporting climate-friendly livestock production and ending subsidies for uh, the large CAFO operations. Yeah. And um, so, you know, there's, there's a couple, um, or at least one big one, uh, conservation programs that have, um, you know, ended up actually in- incentivizing CAFOs when those dollars are meant to be um, helping out with conservation. And that program is the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. Um, it has a right now a 50% livestock set aside, um, meaning that half of the dollars in that program need to go towards livestock production. And we've seen a big chunk of those dollars go um, go to CAFOs. And so as we're talking about supporting climate-friendly livestock production, one of the big recommendations is retargeting those EQIP dollars um, and, you know, moving again, creating incentives to move away from the CAFO system of production and towards more management-intensive rotational grazing. And then also, and that's supporting the small family farmers as opposed to the large agribusinesses. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, there's tough ways to be defining that, too. Um, You know, even a lot of really big farms continue to be um, family-owned, but I would say, yeah, it is, it is kind of supporting um, generally smaller scale operations. So the two other big recommendations I want to make sure we mention is the uh, support for on-farm energy conservation, um, including re- renewables, and fund plant and um, um, animal breeding for climate-resistant agriculture. You want to talk about those two uh, recommendations? Yeah, um can you say the first one one more time? Sure, um, helping helping re, helping farms with renewable energy. Okay, yep. So, um, you know, it, there's a lot of different systems that farmers can use um, to create their own on-farm energy, which, you know, ultimately can help reduce costs. Um, and then, too, you know, we're seeing, even on a larger scale, a lot of um, farms are, are hosting the wind and solar developments that we're seeing. Um, so one of our recommendations is to, you know, ass- assist with that, um, 
one of the recommendations is there's a Rural Energy for America program. Um, you know, we have recommendations for how that might be used. Um, and then the same thing with other conservation programs. Um, I already mentioned the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. One way to use those dollars that's uh, not for CAFOs is to, you know, focus specifically on both energy conservation and renewable energy production. Um, and then, yeah, so and then also having um, funding um, of plant and animal breeding for climate resi- resilient agriculture. Yeah, and you know, one of our biggest recommendations under there is, is increased research. Um, so right now, you know, farmers are using, um, and, and because they're being offered, uh, and because it's available, a, a pretty small amount of seeds. There's not a lot of diversity um, in what's being sold and, and what they, um, you know in traditional venues have access to. Uh, and, you know, there's there are a lot of, you know, ad- like different types of cultivars out there, both for crops um, and then also different types of livestock breeds that would be better adapted to a change in climate, whether it's, you know, reducing um, susceptibility to certain disease um, or livestock that is, you know, better suited to deal with heat stress. Um, so uh, like that. Tara yeah. Ryder with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy. We're going to take another break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio. say 70% of our economy is driven by consumer spending. What if we shifted our spending? You betcha box we can. You betcha box offers a wide selection of locally sourced gift boxes that are a perfect gift this holiday season. This unique gift is ideal for clients and the foodie in your life. The Land of Lakes Tea Box features well-rooted tea, 100% sourced from local farms and foraged from Minnesota forests. Ames Farm Single Source Honey, Savory Marsh Flower from Delano, and some chai masala from St. Paul-based ancient Indian spices, zesty lemon rosemary nuts from Isidore Nut Company, and Annie's Caramels. Find all these products, plus an exclusive local Love Gray Duck Minnesota Proud Tea Tall, in the AM950 sponsored The Land of Lakes Tea Time You Betcha Box. Perfect for client gift-giving, family celebrations, and creating your very own Land of Lakes Tea Time. Go to YouBetchaBox.com and order Land of Lakes Tea Time. This is Chad, owner of AM950. Our station has worked with Barbara from WYSIWYG Web Design for years on everything from logo to print design and especially for developing our website. She does great work and is great to work with listening to what our goals and design ideas were while offering new, innovative ideas to create the website we are proud of today. Barbara made sure she understood our station, our goals, and our mission before she started working on our site and made suggestions to help control the cost. Plus, she's friendly, which set us at ease. I recommend Barbara at WYSIWYG Web Design because I know she will deliver an attractive, professional website within the budget you have. She is a local independent business that specializes in helping other local businesses achieve their website and design goals. She can work with nearly any budget and create anything from simple sites to robust custom functionality. To find out more about the company AM950 Trust, go to WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. Spelled out just like it sounds, WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. The friendly staff at Next Chapter Booksellers can help you find the perfect holiday gift for the book lover of any age in your life. Pick up a new book or get a gift card or even have an author sign a book. This Saturday at 3, you can meet and have author Lorna Landvik sign her latest book, Chronicles of a Radical Hag, with recipes. That's Next Chapter Booksellers for your holiday shopping, 38 South Snelling Avenue in St. Paul or nextchapterbooksellers.com. The Audubon Centre of the Northwoods on Grindstone Lake west of Sandstone offers a great variety of environmental learning experiences for people of all ages running year-round. But did you know you can book your own event here at the centre? Check out our lakeside dining hall and the variety of lodging and meeting accommodations available. Visit us on the web at audubon-centre.org or call 320-245-ACNW. The Audubon Centre of the Northwoods.
Welcome back to Food. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and uh, we've been talking all about the connections between agriculture and climate crisis with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy, Tara Ryder. And Tara, how would people find if they want to read this report? Where would they find that? I would suggest going to the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition's website, which is uh, sustainableagriculture.net. Uh, there's a tab at the top that says publications, uh, and you can find it right under there. Great. And then tell us a little bit about IATP and um, uh, about what that organization is and what we can do to support you guys. Uh, IATP, um, we started in the mid-'80s uh, during during the farm crisis of the 80s, uh, taking a, you know, a big look at uh, how to support family farmers. There were... Um, you know, a huge loss of family farmers from the land during the 1980s. And a lot of big farm orgs, uh, you know, were started during that time to to support farmers through that crisis. Uh, and we've been around for the past 30 years, continuing to work um, on agriculture and on trade policy, uh, the link between the two, and then how do we support um, sustainable agriculture, um, support resilient r- rural communities, and... Uh, and, you know, <laughs> there's a wide range of topics. There's a lot that you guys do. There's so many issues. And it is a very complex issue. Yeah. And we thank you so much for your work. And thank you so much for uh, your time this morning. Um, um, and thank you also for listening. Right now, I want to play a clip because um, there's a, a clip from Rose Whipple. And she um, is a student from St. Paul. She's an indigenous um, member of the Ho-Chunk Nation. She spent almost a year fighting Dakota Access Pipeline. And she um, spoke um, at, the, um, at the UN Climate Summit this week. And so I want to play a story that uh, Democracy Democracy Now! did um, on Rose. So we're going to listen to that. This is Democracy Now! We're broadcasting from Madrid, Spain at the UN Climate Summit. Indigenous people from Canada and the United States are speaking out against extraction, pipeline projects, the environmental devastation of their territories at this summit. On Monday, Rose Whipple, a member of the Santi Dakota and Ho-Chunk, and youth delegate from Sustain Us spoke on a panel of youth climate activists. I remember the sunshine on my skin as I stood at the headwaters of the Mississippi River, the drinking source for over 18 million humans. Here in Minnesota, I joined other indigenous youth to prepare for our month-long canoe journey through our stolen ancestral homelands. We paddled to raise awareness of the Line 3 tar sands oil pipeline that threatens to devastate our communities. We dipped our cupped hands in the river, sipping the clean water. This is the same sacred river where my Dakota ancestors have been harvesting our sacred manumen for thousands of years. This river is important and sacred not only to my ancestors but for my people still to this day. We happily canoed down the river for weeks, smiling and laughing, sharing our dreams for a fossil fuel world. Soon after, everything changed. Things were darker. The sky, the water, the air. Our group came underneath the shadow of a factory looming over our lands like a nightmare. Our sacred waters were sick, our hope melting into despair, and it was then that we took action. In a historic case against the pipeline, we came together as youth to intervene with five other tribes to fight for justice. Although we fought for our river, begged them to leave our waters and lands alone, to say no to the Line 3 pipeline, it wasn't enough. The pipeline was unanimously approved. We have been fighting these extractive projects through the U.S. court system. But this colonial institution continuously values corporate profit over indigenous lives. Today, this injustice and my hope are the fires that have brought me to this room. Hello, my relatives. My name is Rose Whipple and I'm 18 years old. I am attending these global negotiations with the first ever Sustainous Indigenous Youth Delegation from the United States. We're here to share these stories, to share our prayers, and bring a frontline fight to the halls of the United Nations. Our people come from many different lands, waters, and cultures. Yet each of us are here together, calling on the strength of our ancestors to remind us of our commitments to future generations. 
our movements for the protection of our sacred sites and lands sound like protect Mauna Kea, no Shasta Dam raised in California, stand with Bears Ears in Utah, and demilitarize Guam. Our movements for our waters sound like stop Jordan Cove in Oregon, save Bristol Bay in Alaska, no Keystone XL pipeline, and no DAPL expansion across the Great Plains, and especially no Line 3 pipeline in Minnesota. The climate crisis is more than a discussion about a 1.5 degrees Celsius. It also looks like stolen and caged children at the U.S.-Mexico border. It looks like missing and murdered indigenous women. People are dying. Indigenous land defenders are being murdered. The climate crisis is a spiritual crisis for our entire world. Our solutions must weave science with spirituality and traditional ecological knowledge with technology. Our movements must be bigger than recycling and braver than holding signs. It is up to each and every one of us to build movements that center the rights of indigenous peoples, healing and justice for the next seven generations. It is time for us all to reconnect with Mother Earth. It is time to remember how to listen to her to guide our climate solutions. Destroy white supremacy. Um, again, that was uh, Rose Whipple, our, 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 our local Rose Whipple from St. Paul speaking this week. And it just gave me so much goosebumps listening to her. Um, you know, I'm a boomer, and there's also some, okay, boomer, I mean... We really mucked it up here. There's so many problems. And how do we find these collective solutions? And um, I love that you enter, ended that with end white supremacy. And there's a quote from Bob Marley, vanity is the destruction of the soul. And there's so many people have written about this in different ways, um, including um, Eric Fromm, who wrote um, Have Consciousness versus Be Being Consciousness. But if we can... Remember that water is life, and if we go into relationship with trees in the natural world, and at least our dogs are cats, right? <laughs> if you can get a relationship with a dog and cat, you know, start gardening, but go into that relationship and get really what life is about, and 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 is how do we how do we make it better for each other? How do we how do we build something? And I am excited about this agricultural report out. It is a very dense um, document, um, um, in in terms of um, there. We know all of the solutions. And again, I want to remind um, or remember what happened during the Dust Bowl um, in America. In the 1930s, during the Dust Bowl, um, we, in the Depression, we did find a, a solution. And we worked together with the scientists, with government, um, hand in hand. And we weren't perfect at it, but but we worked together. And so how do we work together? Um, and, and climate change and economic justice – those are not separate issues. Those are the same issue. And we can address inequity, climate change, and the epidemic of the academic of the um, anxiety and depression by going in relationship. Water is life. So thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. Um, and thank you, Eric, for uh, producing the show today. Thanks.